This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Hi, I'm Mungi. Welcome to the Everyday Ubuntu podcast. You have to understand that vengeance is not the solution to creating a peaceful world. Vengeance only makes us go back on the creation and the construction of a, of a, of a world with peace. This week, my guest is doing her best to break the cycle of crime and reform the prison system in Mexico. Mexican-American Saskia Nino de Rivera is the founder of Reinserta, an organization that works with young people who have been exposed to traumatic situations related to the criminal justice system. Saskia wants for a safer Mexico and is doing the work to uplift humanity and ensure that all are viewed as humans deserving of dignity. At a time when we're finally having the conversations we need to about prison systems and how they don't rehabilitate, I was thankful to be able to speak with Saskia and learn from her. Here's our conversation. Saskia, welcome to Everyday Ubuntu and thank you for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. And I want to start with my first question that is, from my mom, it's our CVs are not a full explanation of who we are as a person. And so I'm wondering what's missing missing from yours. Well, um, I think the, the our CV is an uh, image of what we've created that is definitely in the outside, right? Professionally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think what makes you, first of all, I think what makes you as a person is your internal experiences, and that is definitely not in the in, in, in a CB. And I think, especially from the work that I do in the prison system, is the things that really matter are the small things, the things that are not quote unquote qualified to be on the CB. Mm-hmm. That probably the sum of those small things makes what's on the CB, but the small things are the important things. Absolutely. Well. If I was to ask you to just give us a brief description of who you are, what would you say for my listeners? Well, that's a <laughs> it's always hard no to talk about yourself. So I I'm a, a Mexican woman. I am a very compassionate woman. I think that is one of my qualities, but also one of my defects. Um, I love my country deeply. I'm completely in love with my country. I am a person that believes in the justice of humanity and believes that um, if we all try, we can create a better a better space, a better um, future and a better right now. I am a mother. Um, I am a daughter. Uh, and I am the co-founder of a nonprofit organization that is working very hard, very passionately to end the crime in Mexico and to fight for justice in this country. And I'm glad that you said that because the next thing I wanted to ask about was Reinserta and how you started that when you were 24, very casual. Um, what's the sort of origin story behind it? Okay, so my co-founder, which is also one of my best friends, um, her name is Mercedes, and I worked for the government, which was a great school. 
um, having to deal with government policies, government procedures, government reality is a a, 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 a butt kick to the real world on how Mm -hmm. life is so inefficient, right? But it also is the best lesson. I was 21, 22 when I started working, 21 when I started working at the government, I was in the anti-kidnapping division for the uh, federal police. And Mercedes was in the anti in the in the pro-victim uh, area, also for the for the federal government, and she was helping victims, sexual abuse, human trafficking um, victims, especially children. Mm-hmm. And I was visiting the prisons. I was a prison liaison for um, the kidnapping division, and I was visiting pr- prisons and just seeing firsthand the reality of the prison system in Mexico. And one day, Mercedes and I were talking, and we said, the thing with what we're doing is that it's that never-ending story. It's a never-ending story because I think what we do is minimum when it doesn't really change the core problem of our justice system. So even though it's a great way to feel that you're doing something and that you're working and that you're learning, it was more of a learning experience than really creating change for your country. Mm-hmm. And if you're someone that wants to create change for your country and that is willing to do anything you know, for your country, um, then eventually that is not enough. And one day Mercedes and I were talking and we said, you know what, we need to create something that is a balance to what is happening in the government. Unfortunately, Mexico's government is filled with corruption and impunity. And we decided to create Rinserta, sort of to balance and to be an organization that walks the talk and it really starts to talk. Because what we realized is that a lot of people didn't even know what was happening in the prison system. A lot of people weren't even aware of what was happening inside the justice system because they had forgotten about the justice system. Not understanding that the justice system is the core to a state of right and a state that guarantees your life and your well-being as a citizen but as a human being. We have created this ideology in Mexico where justice is a synonym of vengeance. Mm-hmm. And we're hating on each other when we should be hating on the non on the government and on the system that is not working. And that's when we created Riserta. And that's when we decided to really be part of an opposition, but of a voice. And that is what Riserta does. I love that. I um what you said about, you know, vengeance and hating on each other. I think it's what's happening in a lot of countries because of COVID. When your government is not doing anything for you, then you find it easier to blame the person down the street that you see that's not treating COVID the same way as you. And really it's like, well, they, they're not getting information from their government on what's happening. And I think that's especially happening in the U.S. right now. That's a really good um, example. We're mm-hmm. so we're in a state of paranoia. We're in a state where we're scared, which is normal. 
this thing is happening in the world that we don't know anything about. The expertise are learning with us. You know, yep. if, if you if you go to the news um, in, I'm going to talk about you know Latin America, U.S. Sort of, we started really talking about COVID January, February 2020, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what they were saying on the news 2020, beginning of 2020, and what they're saying now is a whole different reality, right? So we're scared, and that's fine. But we need to really, every time, think about as a society and not only as who we're going to hate on and who we're going to take all this hate that we have inside out on. I was reading this article. So there's a lot of um, talking about COVID. There's a lot of, um, how, how are they calling it? Tourism, vaccine tourism to the States. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends here in Mexico, and I'm going to say it, who's who have the opportunity money-wise to go to the States and get vaccinated, even though they live here and they're not U.S. citizens or, or anything like that. And they said, well, they're vaccinating everyone and that's fine, you know. And then I read this article that said that the reason why they were being very flexible on who they vaccinated and what they asked for in order to vaccinate you, you know, not ask for a social security number, not ask right. for a passport or just the residents is because they really want illegal immigrants to get vaccinated because that 20 percent of the population is the that are illegals in the states um are the ones that you know are really going out there and and working and and transporting and and doing public transportation all the time and and if they don't get vaccinated then you guys are not going to be able to control in the states the, the the covid and then i was hearing that california texas florida because of all the traffic, the, 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 the tourism, um, the vaccine tourism that they're having with Mexicans and Chinese, they're gonna start asking for documents. And I was, I was thinking, people don't know this. Like people are like, oh, I can pay for a plane ticket. I could pay for in a hotel or maybe I have an apartment there. I can go there, get vaccinated. But my actions are taking away maybe the opportunity for someone in the States that is doesn't have the papers to be vaccinated, right? Mm-hmm. And and I was like in awe of this of this of this of this article that I read because it made all the sense in the world. And I said, we don't think about this. Like when we said I want to get vaccinated, I want to get vaccinated and I don't care what that costs. If I'm taking away the vaccine from someone else or if what I'm doing is not very morally righteous or it's not legal, I don't care. As long as I get the vaccine. Yeah. And that like individual thinking, you know, which which I love about the phrase Ubuntu is I, I am because we are. If we do not if we're not, then how am I gonna exist, right? But people don't think that. People it's like for me it's easy. And then I've talked about it with some friends when I say, you know, it's like, oh I'm so I'm 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 in a relief because my parents went to the States and got vaccine and I said, Do yeah. you guys know this? And they're like, No, but you know what? I really don't care because if my parents got vaccinated, then I'm I'm good, you know. And it's like, well, yeah, but someone else's parents are not going to be vaccinated. And that, yeah, that's the the fish rots from the head. So if the government is teaching us to be selfish, we're going to be selfish. But I don't I don't think it's always the government's fault. It's as as we are working also in a society. I was I was we're doing um. We're doing this study right now in Mexico, interviewing 60 children that are recluded by organized crime. 
they are working for, they worked or they are working currently for the organized crime, they're minors. And we've been interviewing them because we're gonna public, we're gonna publish a story, like an investigation with their stories. And a lot of things that I've talked about with these children is how they came about idealizing the idea of being traffickers, drug dealers, hitmen, um, and it all ends up in, so this movie that I watched, so this music that I hear, so this, and then I was reading this, this article the other day on how, um, I think it's Mortal Kombat, something like that. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a video game. <laughs> it's a video game that is the most popular in the States. And they are doing, they just, this new thing came out for Mortal Kombat, this new program where the goal is for you to be like this hardcore drug dealer, sell drugs, traffic be like traffic people. Yeah. And, you know, be armed and have like all the guns and, and have all the drugs and then have all the girls and have all the money and have all the diamonds and, and you know. And I said, where is the social responsibility on, yeah, this is a million dollar idea because it's going to yeah. sell. But the harm that you're doing to the children in your country and in the world, where's the conscious on that social responsibility that we also have as citizens, as business um, owners, as government, as, as, as everyone? Because then you see, you know, you see platforms like Netflix or, or whatever, and they're, they're, they're putting out these series on how drug dealers live on the on these like huge mansions yeah like glamorize and glorify yeah they they super glorify and with something that is not even real i i was i just yesterday i was talking to this um child hitman and i was saying what are the main differences in what you see on television uh and the real life and he's like everything this kid was in prison already right he's like everything all the all the drug dealers that I know live in like small shelter houses. Um, they're mm-hmm. scared to death. They don't sleep because they're scared that they're gonna you know get killed or, or be arrested. Um, they're 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 hiding all the time. Like this idea that you see on the television of all these drug dealers living on these huge mansions and having you know like all the immunity in the world to do whatever they want. Blah blah blah. Like that's not even true. And then you're promoting that. And then where's your social responsibility too, right? Yeah, because these people then become leaders in society. I, I want to pick up on you saying about kids that you work with because I was watching something about Reinserta and I saw you talked about the invisible kids. And I was wondering if you could explain that for us. Reinserta works with children and juvenile um and yeah teenagers that are in contact with the um criminal justice system we work with three areas especially we work with juvenile offenders that have hardcore crimes we work with children that are born and raised in prison which are visible children and children that whose parents are in prison and we also work with children that are victims of the hardcore crimes Mm. we believe that the development in which the children of our country and the world go through is a key essential to who they are going to become. 
So if you have a child by the age of four that is being raped and no one does anything about it to help these children, chances are that child is going to have a lot of hate in his heart when he grows up or she grows up, right? So we have a social responsibility because we are, what, what happens to a child is a social responsibility. We are co-responsible for the world that we have. And we have to really understand that. So yeah. for the visible children, Munji, is that we have a lot of kids that are born and raised in prison with their mothers, that live with their mothers till the age of three, that most of them, unfortunately, live in harsh, harsh conditions because of the prison conditions itself. We have had certain cases where we had this one case when Reiserta barely started. We had this one case where this kid that was in the prison living with, with, with his mom, he was being used to move the drugs inside the prison because the, the, the police, the guards, they didn't touch the kids. They couldn't get near the kids. So the women would put either in the diaper, like the drugs, or put, uh, put like have the kids walk around with like backpacks. But then you would talk to the kids and they know what's cocaine, what's crack, what's weed, how, how to do a weed cigar, how to, you know, like they, they manage and that they know the language, the curse words, they know, like they have normalized violence. When this kid came out of prison, we put him in school and he was expelled from school day three. And when we talked to the director why he had expelled this kid, he was in the first grade, is the kid had lined up all the, daughter, all the girls in the class and explained what oral sex was, was anal sex, what vaginal sex, what, like everything, how much um, they were gonna charge for what activity, what sexual activity, mm-hmm. um, how they had to wear the skirts, and that the money that they made, he was gonna receive half of it because he was gonna be the pimp that takes care of him. Of course, this was all in the classroom with um, you know, the fantasy. Nothing ever happened to the girls or anything. But the fact that this kid was doing uh, like a prostitution kind of situation with first grade girls is because he learned this in the prison, right? So this is where we started really working with these invisible kids to visibilize them and to make sure that not because they are in prison, their lives are not being protected and their development is not but more than up to standards, right? Right. I mean, the the development of children is that's what really gets me there is that where do we think a child would learn that they didn't make that up in their head um and so why do we not you know in the u.s it's this whole thing about women need to have their children we're against abortion and then these children are born and all of a sudden we don't care about them um and it just it doesn't make sense to me but i wanted to ask you what do you think the people who want to stop the cycle of crime in Mexico, but also in the rest of the world, because Mexico is not alone, need to do more of? So I think we have to be more compassionate. And we have to really, we have, we live in this world where, as we were talking earlier, we are very, we have this like individual thinking. If it's good mm-hmm. for me, if it's good for the people that I love, then I'm fine. I'm, 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 I'm good with that. But I don't think as a society. For example, it happens a lot with our juvenile offenders. Our juvenile offenders, most of them started committing crimes by the age of eight. 
And I always, when I give conferences or anything, I always say, who do you think gives an eight-year-old a gun? Oh, well, a parent, um, someone that lives close by, an uncle, maybe a grandfather even. Then who's responsible for that kid being a criminal? Where were we when there was an eight-year-old kid with a gun in his hand? Where were we as a society? Now we call him a criminal because he's 15 or 16 and he is, I don't know, done, moved drugs, killed people or whatever. But where were we? So what we really have to understand is that we have to understand that vengeance is not the solution to creating a peaceful world. Vengeance only makes us go back on the creation and the construction of a, of a peace, of a, of a world with peace. Mm-hmm. We have to understand as a society, I was once talking to this woman whose daughter was murdered here in Mexico. And the murderer was in our social readaptation program inside the prison and she was really, really mad at me. She said, I can't believe you guys are helping him socially readapt. He doesn't deserve it. And I said, I can totally understand your pain. I'm a mother as well. I can totally understand your pain, but you need to understand that I do this I work with this murderer to help him readapt because he's a minor. He's going to come out of prison because that's what the law says here in Mexico. The, 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 there's a five-year maximum um, 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 sentence for the children. And right. when he comes out, we need to make sure this kid doesn't kill anyone else. Because the fact that they've killed your daughter is because they killed my daughter too. And they've killed all of us women's daughters. And this is how we have to think about it. It's not only your daughter. The, the pain is, as a society, we lost someone. But we need to prevent other mothers from losing their children. And the only way we're going to do that is not thinking that just hating on this, on, on this person is going to solve the problem. How do we solve the problem? I'm sorry, and this is going to sound really, really hard, but is there's nothing we could do about your child being murdered anymore. If we could take back her life and bring her back to life, that would be amazing. But the murder has happened. And what we can prevent is other murders from happening. So I know it's like it's really hard to digest because because you know the pain is is so unreal. But we always take it towards this 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 thinking of I want vengeance. I want more sentences, yeah. I want more um, 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 harsh conditions inside the prisons. I want uh, more people in prison. I want, you know, it's hate, hate, hate. And you guys in the States are seeing it a lot, you know? The, the, the black movement right now is an amazing movement that, that came out, but it came out, out, it came out of an awful thing that happened to George Floyd. Yep. Which is amazing because it moved everyone in the States. And now the black movement is a huge thing in the States and I applaud it completely. It was so necessary, but it came out of a really, really, really nasty situation where a man was killed, but it brought up something that is so much greater right now than George Floyd, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if this makes sense at all. Uh, oh, it does. You know, I, you said about like, it's all of our daughters and, and then you mentioned the U.S. And, but that was the thing with the U.S. 
when black men were getting killed, it, it wasn't affecting white mothers and white people because they were not seeing it as their son. And so George Floyd, you know, when they said he cried out for his mom, that is when like white women started to see this is like someone's child. And as a mother, like he doesn't look like me, but how can I ignore this? So no, that that makes sense to me. And just because it was, and not even because maybe he was crying or not crying out for his mother. He's a human being that is being brutally, brutally arrested for no reason at all. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if George Floyd was the worst criminal in the world. Even though, like, let's pretend that he was a criminal, that is not a reason to do what they did to him. No. The thing that I applaud is the movement coming about. It's and, and, and that is from realizing that it's not only about the justice on George Floyd's case. It's about being able to change the system. Because yeah. cases like George Floyd are hundreds. We know black men, especially, are being imprisoned in the States for every reason. And they're being pre-criminalized just because they're, they're black. Right? And yeah. this is a huge problem that the States has been having for a, lot of to- for a long time. So, so it's not, George Floyd is a man, was a man, but George Floyd represents hundreds and thousands of other men that are living the same situation that he lived, maybe, yeah. and their voices were not heard. And that created, that ideology of what you say is not only, it's, and I don't think it's, it's not only white women, it's also black women and it's Asian women and it's Mexican women and it's every woman without really um the importance of their color of their skin or where they come from is we're mothers and we're women and i can relate and it hurts to like to see this man crying out for their mothers yeah so but what it created was unity and the unity created a movement that right now is really starting to make changes we have a vice president um, and I say we have because I'm also a U.S. citizen. We have a vice president of black women in, the, in, in power, which is amazing. But then we stopped thinking individually. We stopped not caring about what happened to the person next to me because we understood that George Floyd could be, and you can insert the name here, of your own son or of your own daughter. I mean, yeah, he could be my younger brother. Yeah. Or your do- so. daughter, no, because it happens to women too. Mm-hmm. Well, so you you explained some of your experiences with the kids that you work with and, you know, that like tugs at my heart. And so I wonder what sort of keeps you going in tough moments? I think um, what keeps me going in tough moments, first of all, is the passion that I work with. I have been fortunate enough Mundi, to to um, to really love what I do. A lot of people, when I get interviewed, a lot of people ask, how do you leave your work, like, outside your home, you know, like, come home and shake off um, what you saw in the prison or what you, whatever. The reason is I don't. I am the work I do, literally. When you fight for social justice, I don't think there's there's such a thing as dividing yourself and having you know the cape of i'm a social justice fighter or now i am a mom or now i am that's who you are and when you're fortunate enough because a lot of people i don't think are fortunate enough to really be able to dedicate your life 
to what you love is a constant gasoline and energy booster. And even in the hardest of times, the universe conspires for me. I swear this is so true. Every time that something happens, this one time we had a, a kid, a two-year-old kid that was raped in prison. It was one of the worst days of my life. And then the next day, literally the next day, something amazing happened. And it was a universe telling me, Saskia, go forward. Go forward, go forward. You can't, you, you can't stop this. But I do believe it's also the passion that, in which you do things. So you may have answered this, but I really do want to know when it comes to breaking the cycle of crime and, you know, making it so that prisons aren't used as ways to rehabilitate people, because I don't think that they do, but I think that's what our countries pretend that they're for. Are you hopeful in breaking that cycle? I am. Um, I am hopeful. And, you know, this takes us back to how we started. What's not on your CV? Um, and it's the, I think what really creates change is the small things. And the small things create change because we, kill, we can all create the small things. We can mm -hmm. all be part of living a life where we create things through our everyday activities. We create better, you know, saying good morning when you get out of your house to whoever you find on the streets or just doing something good for someone else for no reason or um, just being nice to people you're not nice to normally. You know, like, it's the stupid things yeah. that are the sum of the creation of something greater because a lot of people are, you know, stuck with, we have to create, we change laws and we have to, yeah, those are the huge things that for sure make a reason. Uh, reason. But what I've seen is, um, for example, we created, uh, Reinserta created the law in Mexico that visualizes children in prison. That's the first thing we did when we created Reinserta. And it doesn't matter if, if that law exists if the authorities don't follow it. And in order for the authorities to follow, to follow it, sorry, is that we need to really create a society that obligates the authorities to be lawful people and not corrupt right. people. And those kind of activities happen if we're not part of the corrupt system. This one time, Nuria, was, I was at this um, restaurant waiting for my friends. And this woman, there was a table next to me with like five women. And they were waiting. There was a seat that was, that was not occupied. And they were waiting for, for a sixth person. And then this girl, this woman comes in and she was running. You know, she was, she was clearly uh, being late. And she's like, you guys are not going to believe what happened to me. This was all in the context that a couple of days before, a governor had been arrested for corruption. Really, really bad corruption here in Mexico. And she was like, I, my, my phone started ringing. My bag was like on the floor. I was driving. And then um, I was trying to get my phone because it, was like, it wouldn't stop ringing. I thought it was my kids. Um, and then I didn't see the red light. And I went through the red light. And then um, the policeman stopped. And she's like, I'm sorry, I'm going to say a bad word. But he's like, fucking. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> the police is like, give me money and I'll let you go because since you went through a red light, I'm going to have to take away your license and your, and your plate and you're going to have to go very far away to get your car back and your license back. And then 
gonna have to pay a fine of I don't know how many hundreds of dollars, and you gotta the guy the, clearly there was a corrupt a, a corrupt cop. And she was like, and the the friend says, oh, oh my god, fucking policeman! Like, what did you do? I had to give him money. Like I was already late here. I was, and I I literally wanted to get up and say, you are. Javier Duarte, which is the governor that had just been arrested. Because after that, they started talking about, about the governor that was arrested. And they were like, can you believe how much money he stole? Can you believe such corruption? Like, I don't know where we're going through this country. And I was like, dude, you are the governor. <laughs> Even though you just gave him 20 bucks or 10 bucks or whatever you gave him. And this guy stole hundreds of thousands of dollars. You are him. The act of corruption is the act of corruption. And the fact that you decided or went through a red light and decided that you were not gonna pay the consequences and you'd rather pay the police money to get away with it, that makes you as bad as this guy. Mm-hmm. You're part of the problem. But we don't understand ourselves in, 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 inside of a system that works as a whole. Yeah. And I think that's a huge problem. No, I agree. So I'd love to ask you my two final questions. The first one is, what is your greatest fear for humanity? Social injustice. People living in misery, in pain, and in just situations is one of my biggest fears. Yeah. Well, thank God you're doing the work then. And what is your greatest hope for humanity? Wow. Um, I. My greatest hope is that we find the way I like that. Well, Saskia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for the work that you're doing. I love following you. Thank you so much. um, And thank you for having me on your space. Of course. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today. And don't forget to hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Follow me at mungi.ingomane on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you and get your feedback on the show. I'll be back in a week with a new episode. Thank you for listening to Everyday Ubuntu.